So hey guys, welcome in to the, I think this is the seventh edition, at least seventh MLS edition of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey, and today, uh, after a much-awaited uh, couple weeks, we do have co-hosts finally on the pod, and I'll introduce them in just a second to you. You'll be hearing for them basically uh, moving forward now, basically every show, um, so that I'm so glad uh, that they can join me and that we can... Uh, start to build this thing out the way that I had uh, initially planned to. So it's kind of cool. Um, we're going to touch on the MLS, uh, some of the top storylines from the weekend, the games uh, that you guys probably saw. Um, super, super interesting stuff. Um, quite a few headlines that I think uh, will definitely um, reemerge as the season goes on. And um, I'm re- really excited to touch on those. We also have Open Cup going on tonight and tomorrow. So we're going to hit that. And... Maybe a little bit of the Zach Steffen conversation. That's unfortunately, uh, if you're a USMNT fan, I think it's unfortunately kind of uh, come over in the last uh, the last week, really since his mistake versus Liverpool in the FA Cup semifinal, and really since the last international window. So there's been some questions about him, and uh, we'll touch on that in just a bit. Uh, but like I said first, I do have three three co-hosts with me today. So I'm going to kind of introduce them uh to you, and I'm going to let them do that. So, uh, Matt, do you want to kind of uh, hit on who you are? Uh, just so you know, guys, Matt uh, did appear on some of the um, round tables that we did a while back, so you might have heard his voice. All right. Hey, I am Matt. I am a uh, Sporting Kansas City fan, and uh, I am actually the uh, the fan that Walker Zimmerman was concerned about out of Nebraska. Uh, did not really care about my opinion, but that's all right. So, here we are. <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> that would be actually hilarious. Um, I, that was an amazing quote too. I, I, I forget who it's it was. such a good line. It's it truly, line. truly I think is. 11 Yanks on Twitter, like made that his username or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it was super funny. Um, yeah, Matt, uh, great to have you back on, uh, Jonathan, do you want to uh, hit on who you are and a couple things about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm John or Jonathan, and um, I've been a fan of MLS for a long time, um, close to, I don't know, six, seven years. I was thinking back today. I think my first game ever was when DeAndre Yedlin hit an absolute banger against Tigres and CCL, um, which is interesting given um, his assist this weekend. But yeah, I am a Seattle Sounder fan. Uh, but I'm also originally from Charlotte, and so uh, I have recently adopted uh, Charlotte FC as my team as well. Um, but just in general, love some good old uh, MLS and, and love the, the parody of the league. So excited to, to talk with everyone about uh, soccer each week. And last but not least, Andres. Yeah, hey, uh, my name is Andres Pacheco. Um, I'm originally from Miami, although I was in South Carolina for, for a while. I'm currently living in Mexico, and I don't really have a specific team that I support. Mostly enjoy watching the league, watching how teams develop over time, players coming through, ups and ups and downs of the different teams, and and yeah, watching the overall competitiveness, competitiveness and growth of the league. Yeah, uh, when I was talking with you guys uh, previously, you guys kind of hit on some of the stuff that I um, love seeing in the league, so like the competitiveness, the parity, and. Um, just the overall, you know, young talent that's uh, really appearing in the league. 
And that stuff really made me interested and want to talk with you guys again. So, again, I'm super glad you guys are here. And um, I guess the only way that we can do this is just hop right into it. Uh, and I want to start with, um, I guess we'll start with the big news uh, of the weekend. You've probably heard it if you've been on literally any any MLS platform, uh, social media, anything. Matias Almeida, uh, after a very long-awaited uh, firing, um, is finally out of his job in San Jose. Uh, that the official news came down on Monday, but uh, some stuff had started leaking out uh, even after their game on Saturday. The writing was on the wall since basically the off season, but uh, at long last, it finally went down. I guess it it definitely wasn't a surprise, and the Quakes I don't think would be better or worse without him because I don't think that the floor can go much lower, and I don't think that the ceiling even without him. And the stuff that he, the baggage that he brought would have gone much higher, but I I think for them they they need to do this in the off season when they actually would have had time to bring in the actual coach to implement an actual system, maybe make some new signings. But those signings never came in uh, under Almeida, and now they're in this weird state of uncertainty where they have an interim manager, but where's this next kind of direction going to come from? I think. Personally, uh, I don't know how I want to word this, but like the Quakes just aren't a team that I see going anywhere because unless John Fisher, their owner, is willing to put money into the team, there's the signings aren't going to get there, and they aren't they aren't producing enough young players to really make that much of a difference. I don't think that's a a unique take, but how do you guys kind of see it? I'll I'll hit on a couple of points here. Um, I think the the idea that the Quakes have not invested in their team is true in some cases and untrue in others. Um, if you look at some of the players that are or were Almeida's guys, they were brought in pretty good level, and and there were some pretty significant investments. So there there needs to be a little bit of uh, understanding that it's not just on the ownership, it's not just on Almeida, it's absolutely a mix. I think that having taken so long for them to um, hire, oh gosh, I think it's the general manager now. I can't remember if it's general manager or sporting director, but Chris Leach. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that really, I think, is what delayed this past the offseason. That took way too long. It is what it is but I think they've got a pretty good person in there now. Um, and I think that there have been some of the trades that he has made that I'm actually pretty optimistic on. Getting Jeremy Abobisi was huge. He's a very, very good striker. Um, and so now it's how does he go ahead and continue to define his system? Who can they get in? They've got some really, really good assistant coaches coming in in Wando and, uh, oh, gosh. I'm forgetting the second name now, but uh, two really, really like San Jose legends, truly. So there's reason to be optimistic. They also had a really, really good run in the GA Cup. So there's some youth coming through. I, it, I know that it has to be tough for those San Jose fans, but there's reason to be optimistic. Guys, I have to confess something here. I'm a little bit sad to see him go. Um, I completely understand the decision from the Earthquakes front office perspective. I think it makes sense. But 
to be honest, I feel like one of the things our league consistently lacks is characters, individuals who are entertaining just because of who they are. And I think Matias Almeida never sort of failed to deliver on entertainment value. Um, certainly, sometimes his you know tactics were suspect, and sometimes they just absolutely got burned for their man marking system. But if there was one thing that happened without fail, he was entertaining, and so. Certainly, if I'm an Earthquake fan, I'm optimistic moving forward. But as a fan of this league, I, I have to tell you, man, I, I'm a little sad because I'm going to miss his willingness to consistently throw his front office under the bus. I'm going to miss his um, emotion on the sideline. To me, when I thought of the Earthquakes, I thought of Wando and I thought of Matias Almeida. And so really, I think for the Earthquakes, this is a real chance to change their identity and I think for the league, we're really going to miss the character that was Coach Mateus Almeida. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what goes forward. But um, again, in this moment, understandable the decision, but a little bit of sadness in my heart for what we're going to miss going forward. I mean, I, I hear you on, on missing the entertainment value that Almeida brought. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what San Jose does with a more structured approach. They have, this should be a playoff team, or at least it should be competing for playoff positioning. Guys like Montero, guys like Gregus, these are quality MLS starter caliber type players. And when you have a striker who is a proven quantity in the league, you know, that solves one of the major problems that a lot of teams are facing. They just give up so many real soft goals where you see somebody chasing down a, open space from 40 yards out like you saw with Hani Mukhtar this weekend and that goal just happened so many times over the last two years that I totally understand from Earthquakes uh, fan side you just get tired of seeing the same goal happen over and over and this I think is a is a good fresh start for, for San Jose I think there's going to be a lot of quality candidates that are going to want to take that job because the roster isn't isn't bad right now and I think you can take that team and probably compete pretty well so I'm excited to see yeah uh, the Almeida experiment was fun especially that you know that first year and that COVID year uh, they were a ton of fun to watch but I think it's kind of run its course and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next I I'll, I am kind of wondering about like if I'm a potential manager who might come into that position how excited am, am I about going in because like all of the all of the media has been uh, the the team does or the owner does not invest in the team. The owner does not invest in the team. But like that's going to be a tough sell. So figuring out the right fit for that team is going to be tough. Like I the the names that are kind of being bandied about right now are super super interesting. Like we we could talk about Landon Donovan, and that's a heck of a figure in the San Jose soccer sphere. Um, we could talk about Hugo Perez with. I believe El Salvador. Joey, El I said that out right. if it's wrong. Yeah, there's, that's right. There's, um, there's also rumors that uh, Hugo will be moving on very shortly to join unnamed MLS team, just kind of like putting his name into the ring. But as of now, yes, El Salvador. And that'd be a good hire, man. That would be so fun. El Salvador was punching way above like the talent that they have because of very, very good coaching. And you could see that drilled in day in, day out through qualifying. That was 
Hugo Perez would be such a good coach. And Hugo Perez, massive connection to uh, the Bay Area, too, because his son um, is the manager or owner of Bay City SC, one of the teams playing in the Open Cup this year. Um, that would be super, 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 super interesting. So uh, it's going to be a tough sell, though, to bring talented managers into that area. But I think that if you can find somebody who can develop talent, there's a lot to be optimistic about in the San Jose earthquakes. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. I, the, the Hugo thing really interests me, him going anywhere in MLS, just cause he, he seems to be such a good man manager. Like I, I think I saw something like uh, not most of his, you know, stuff as a coach of uh, El Salvador wasn't, like tactics, I think I saw that somewhere. Like it was basically man management and getting his players motivated and ready uh, to step up to the challenge, and obviously implementing some base stuff along the way. But you know, you saw it in El Salvador's play over the World Cup qualifying. They weren't super technical. They weren't trying to pass around you. They were just trying to, you know, grind they were it out. Super well structured. Just, just like, yeah, they were solid. tough to break down. Yeah, and then they could build on what they had going forward. Yeah, you know. They didn't have like, and they didn't have like anybody who you could like. They didn't even have Romel Kyoto and, um, you know, Albert Ellis like uh, Honduras had, and yet they finished above them in the table. Like, it's just one of those things where, like, he just seems to be such a, a fun coach, um, such a good man manager. So I would be delighted to see him come to MLS anywhere, not just uh, the Quakes. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think, I think Matt, you brought up the point about. Um, the good signings, Montero, I love, obviously, is a Philly guy, but Abobasi, um seemed to finally, you know, get into his own, at least uh, with San Jose. He's been up and down with San Jose, but he was great with the Timbers and MLS's back. Um, he's he's a solid enough striker. And again, we're not, the, the bar for San Jose is not letting in goals like, uh, I think, Andres, you mentioned, like, basically 40-yard dribbles. Um like, it doesn't, how does that happen? Because you're man-marking everybody up and down the pitch. And yet, I can also, like, I also enjoyed the Matias Almeida thing. Uh, like, John, you were talking about, like, the train wreck-iness of it almost made it fun because, like, he was still, like, managing the team, but also he didn't care. So, like, I, it was one of those crazy things that, like, I, you see those every once in a while in world soccer football, but it's not like this. Um... So that was quite interesting. I guess moving forward for San Jose, you know, do you guys think that like, what kind of coach do you think they need? Do you think they need um, a coach like a Hugo Perez, who's more of a man manager or even more in the mold of Almeida, who's very much a tactical guy? Like, how do you guys see them, you know, making this happen with the player pool that they have and probably won't change that much between at least now and the end of the season? I think that they need to tap into the the talent that's in the area. So I think finding somebody who can really, really, you know, spearhead that project. Because this is not going to be a one-year rebuild. This is a, not going to be a two-year rebuild. This is going to be, gosh, we're talking about five years plus to get back to a San Jose that is truly, truly worthy of, of that fan base. Um, 
I I think that they need to find somebody who can really develop that talent in order for them to succeed into the future. And I think that both Perez and Donovan and I'm sure multiple other names that we haven't mentioned could be in that realm. Yeah. I do sort of think that they need an ambitious hire, though. Like, I think if they just go out and hire... um an assistant off another MLS team. Maybe there's a couple assistants that could be exciting, but I, I think that whoever their, their hire is, they really need to show the fan base that they're invested here. Like, I think if you go out and get Hugo or if you get Donovan, those sort of signings sort of communicate to your fan base that you are really trying to instate a change and that you really are invested in this. And I, I think that there's a lot of ways you could go about this and just really sort of um, communicate that you don't care to your fan base. Um, if you're not careful. So I, I think that this is really, really key and a really, really important time for San Jose, especially considering that the other LA teams are surging right now. Um, you know, both this particular season, but even in like seasons past, I think San Jose, in order to sort of be a part of the California landscape, really needs to, to have a um, sort of splashy hire here uh, for their coach. So, Yeah, Andres, do you want to touch on like the coach or do you want to... You can branch out if you want to, and just like the general Quakes sphere. Yeah, so I mentioned it before. I, I think this this current roster probably has enough talent to be competitive. And just bringing in somebody who will play a solid structure will be more difficult to break down. They probably have enough right now to at least compete for a playoff spot. So kind of setting the ship, from what I understand, their youth system is kind of picking up steam. They have a they have kind of a club ethos in place that they're working on, and you know you're probably right in the sense that this isn't a one or two years to get to the top of MLS type of type of rebuild, but you can you can patch up some of the holes pretty quickly and at least be competitive. I I think that's that's the first key. I think San Jose fans are tired of giving up real soft goals day uh, week in and week out and just seeing a, a team that's kind of tougher to break down, uh, that'll, that'll go a long way to building building some uh, goodwill back with the fan base. Yeah, I'm with that. And I, I like the point that you made, John, is like the splashy hot, like you can, the splashy hire can go both ways. You can look at the splashy hire and be like, oh yeah, here's a coach who's going to implement everything. He's going to try and lead us to the promised land. You can look at a splashy hire like, oh, they're just trying to, you know, like look good uh for the local fans or like try to maybe like we've seen this before where like they try to like appropriate the culture of the town and they just get it all wrong like all wrong so we, we've seen it in every way um so i i think that's really going to be the next step is finding that coach because and i'm with you andres like i think that this team has enough talent to at least compete in a lot of games that they play in um I don't think that the rebuild needs to be as comprehensive as I think you think it is, Matt. But yet, I, I think that this team needs structure. And if they're able to have structure, they have players in enough places. Like Francisco Calvo is going to find a way to get himself 10 goals this year. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. He already got like, I don't know. He seems to score braces in half the games that he plays in. So between him and that front three, Trophies is just an absolute beast as well. Like they Francisco Calvo, yeah, will also give up a goal, and very obviously so, 
for every two that he scores. Like, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm that's like, a positive, though, but in, in, in you know respect to him, like he, he's a good he's player, entertaining. but he plays for Costa Rica somehow. I mean, like he oh, manages to do it. Yeah. So did Kendall Waston, and we saw the end of his run in in Vancouver. We saw there's that's not necessarily the player that I would build around. No, no, that's not my point. I that I, I was more of a joke. My point is like you have pieces, some pieces already established in MLS, some pieces clear talent. Like I don't know if you could call Chofis an established player in MLS, but he's shown over the last season and a half that. He clearly has the talent necessary um, and has shown, obviously, in past stops that he has enough uh, enough talent, certainly, to uh, become a real player in this league. You guys are mentioning some of the midfielders. Um, Espinoza, I think he needs structure. But, I mean, they have players all over the pitch. Like, and, obviously, our boy uh, K. Cow playing at wingback slash winger, wherever he gets yeah, on get the field. Get him up front. Yeah. I, get him up I, front. Come on Get him up now. front. He's, he's just a menace. Like, He's just a beast, and his his play style is not like he's not like a a really technical ticky tacky like guy like that you would expect from an academy product, you know, a, an eighteen year old or whatever. I think he's eighteen now. Um, he's just a beast. He just he's absolutely um he just books it up the flank every time. Just his, his play style is just with so much like power and intensity. He definitely plays beyond his age. So getting him up top or in a position that he becomes more stable and can fight his way into the starting 11 is also a massive deal because he just has so much potential and that can continue to uh, you know grow exponentially as he gets older and with more experience. So with all those things, I, I think the Quakes can become an absolute... You know, an, an absolute... I'm not going to say a monster of a team to play against because... Obviously, they don't have the talent of some of the other teams, but if they have structure, they have enough game changers in areas of the pitch that they can threaten most opponents. And often in MLS, especially with the home away gap that we know exists, that that doesn't need to be said. Uh, probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you know the uh, the crazy um, home away uh, difference that exists within the league. If you got enough game breakers, and if you have those guys working at home, I would expect results um from this team just based off its talent level and i think that that was the real issue with the almeida era is like sure he didn't get all the signings he wanted and and sure um the owner was not necessarily you know just flooding the club with money like some of these other clubs are but they have enough pieces that they should be able to do better than they have done the past couple seasons especially now um with the interleague tr- uh, trades that Chris Leach has made. So w- if they're able to start hitting on those things and those uh, pieces start, you know, showing it on the field, that's um, now when we got, I think, better um, opportunities for the Quakes to show who they really are without the necessarily the attacks of Almeida potentially holding them back. So, yeah, that's kind of all that we can touch on with the Quakes because, I mean, there's not much else. They did um, battle back twice versus Nashville and grab a 2-2 draw in that game that I didn't see them coming back in either time just because Nashville's a very good team, and yet they managed to do it. And that also continues their run of somehow managing to come back at home. Like, they also came back uh, 2-0 down versus Austin, and 
I forget, did they win that game? Did they draw that game? I completely forget. But they um they they continue to come back at home, which is I mean, I guess that shows that this team has, you know, leaders or has the mentality that they can continue to fight despite bad results. So I guess that shows something uh for them. Uh for Nashville, I think that this team is obviously uh, a playoff contender as we've seen in the past couple of years. And I mentioned on past pods as well, like, and you guys can kind of back me up on this. I, they're one of those teams to me that like, they're just so defensively solid that they only have to hit on one or two moments in the attacking third. And they're going to grab points. They're probably going to win the game just because of how defensively solid they are. They can go back to kind of the Walker Zimmerman love that I love to give, but you know, I just love Nashville, um, especially defensively. They're so solid. Yeah, Nashville is going to be very, very good uh, when they get into their home stadium. Like this, this is the old, uh, I think it was 2013 Kansas City formula where you survive away for a pretty long road trip. You know, we're talking, what, six games, seven games on the road now. And then you come back to your house that is going to be packed, that is going to be just absolutely thriving. And they are going to be so difficult to break down. And I think that with that additional energy, with that additional pump from being at home, they're going to be amazing. So still, I'm, I'm still buying Nashville stock. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe buy. Um, and I... I almost wish that they didn't sit in as low a block as they often end up doing. Um, like, versus Columbus, they sat so deep, and they really should have given up goals in that game. Like, they open themselves up because just, like, that counterattacking style that they have is just, they play so, so deep that sometimes um, it can lend itself to issues. But I think overall, I mean, we're talking about a, a really, really top side in this league. So, yeah, final on that one was San Jose 2, Nashville 2, and now San Jose without a permanent head coach. Um, and that we'll continue to talk about that as it continues. Uh, that story continues to develop as the season goes along. Um, I also wanted to hit on uh, the Austin FC comeback. Uh, DC up two goals after 80 minutes. Uh, Ola Kamara got himself sent off in the first half. First yellow card was actually took a shirt off during a goal celebration. Um and then second yellow, I think it was the 43rd minute. I can check on that. But uh, DC was up two for the entire game until the 80th minute comes along when uh, Austin uh, ends up bearing uh, three on them in 10 minutes. And DC once again falls uh, for Austin. It continues their impressive streak so far this season. Uh, I know we're going to talk about strength of schedule probably, but 14 points through seven games and that's good enough to see them go uh, third in the entire league and second in the West. Um, Andres, how do you see um, Austin uh, as the season goes along? I know, uh, you know, strength of schedule is brought up often when we talk about them, but I, I honestly think that with those attacking pieces, they're just such a threat. Yeah, so they're they're clearly much better than they were at the beginning of last season, and, and we saw that towards the end of of 2021 when they brought in Jerusi, uh, you saw kind of the results start to come in towards the end of the season. They, they're much better in the middle of the park. Uh, Pereira's come along since since his rookie year. Alex Ring has been a you know top level MLS 
central midfielder for four or five years going on now. But I, I still think that this team, right now they're over overachieving the results compared to, I think, with the talent level is that they have. DC United was the better team for the vast majority of this game. Andy Nahar was playing left wing back, and he was getting into super dangerous uh, positions on the pitch out wide. Jackson Hopkins made his debut. He's 17. He, he was awesome. He was awesome for the first 30 minutes. And unfortunately, you know, Ola gets set off right before halftime. Then uh, Nahar gets hurt. They have to bring in Odoi Atsum. He gets hurt four minutes later. Steve Birnbaum has to be off the pitch for a while. DC was on nine men for multiple instances during this game, and they just ran out of gas. And Austin laid it on them the last 15 minutes, and good on them. They they got the result on the road. Uh, but that's the type of game that if you want to make the playoffs, you make the most of. But I don't think it's indicative of where Austin is right now as a, as a club. Like I, said, I think they're better, but they got two absolute gifts to begin the year and got a quick six points out of it. Um, here's another one where they beat a team that's maybe not at the top of the East right now, despite um, you know going down to 10 men early on. So promising from Austin, definitely. Improvement from Austin, for sure. Um, but I think they're a borderline playoff team still. They're probably not going to finish second in the West. That's kind of where I see it. Yeah, that's probably fair. I'll I'll give them, like, beyond borderline, I think that this is a playoff team. Like, if they're going to continue to play like this, I'm 100%, I'm a strength of schedule guy. Like, I'm out here saying, yeah, you know, you beat the bottom three teams in the East. Way to go, bud. But I think that the, the bones of that team are very, very solid. And we're seeing that this is this is quality coaching. This is a team that is no longer an expansion team. This is a team that is pretty well established now. And they have an understanding of the way that they want to play. They can take teams apart. That's awesome. Good job, Austin. Again, I'm with you. Probably not second. I But I think very, very solidly uh, a playoff team is what I'm expecting. John, you want to hit on Austin? Um, I personally, uh, just to throw it in there, just that front four, um, obviously, uh, Cecilio, we'll see what happens with uh, Cecilio Dominguez. Um, that could turn, and possibly has turned, rather ugly um, already. So, obviously, we're uh, on the side of the truth coming out in that situation. Um, and justice should be served if uh, the alleged acts are um, acts that he did indeed commit. Uh so we'll see with uh, Cecilio. But the other ones um, between Fagundes, Aruti, Driussi, those guys are just so much fun to watch. And what they're able to do um, on the ball and just, you know, in those quick instinctual moments just shows their quality week in and week out. And I think that to add on to that, I think they've gotten a surprising amount of like value out of veterans like Maxi Aruti. Like I think. You look at what they've accomplished, and um, I I, th- I agree. I think that they are a playoff team, and I think it's because of you know their bones maybe being a little bit more experienced this year, and they have a little bit more experience with Josh Wolf's system. And um, I, I agree that they have some questionable results, but they also have some positive results as well. They got a tie with Seattle. They got a win over Minnesota, and so 
it's not like those are isolated in and of themselves, right? I, I, I really do think that they are a playoff contending team, right? Because what does it take to be a playoff contending team in this league? You just have to beat the teams on the bottom half of the table. And I think that they are doing that and they're contending with some of the upper echelon of MLS. And I, I think that that's for them will be enough to make the playoffs. Um, I agree that I'm not completely sold on how far they will get in the playoffs or even in them being in the, you know, upper echelon of MLS. But um, yeah, I, I think definitely their stock has risen way, way up from last season. Yeah. I, I think it, I, that's kind of what, the thing is, like, if they were a tenth seed last year and had moments of brilliance and just couldn't pull it off over, you know, the course of 34 games, it'd be like, okay, whatever. But the fact that they really looked awful for most of last season and are looking far from it this season, uh, that's really what I think um, is the whole awesome thing. And it makes up a top of uh, the Western Conference that sees uh, in the top five all three Texas teams, the three teams that made up the bottom, the very bottom, 12, 13, and 14 of the West last year, or I forget if it's 11, 12, and 13, or whatever. But I think um, it, those teams, those three bottom teams of the West from last year, are now the uh, three of the top five teams in the West this year. I don't know if that shows anything beyond either strength of schedule or players getting healthy necessarily. But I think it's got to say something about the way that these teams manage their off seasons, and it shows that you know, in the midst of teams that didn't necessarily do the best that they could have in this off season, those three teams maximized absolutely everything that they could have um, out of the off season and have put themselves in great, great positions uh, to succeed uh, this year. Anybody want to touch on those Texas teams that are either overachieving or have upped their level uh, so much in the last uh, three months? Jesus Ferreira has put that Dallas team on his back. He just, man, he he has he has risen to another level, and he has taken that team to another level. I love Jesus. Matt, I'll also touch on. Go ahead, Andres. I also touch on Dallas. They're they're much more solid defensively this year than they were last year, and and you can see that um, across the board, basically throughout all seven games. Uh, Martinez and Hedges. Uh, solid in the in the middle of the park and then you know like you mentioned Ferreira's been really good Ariola's been good when he's been out there Pomico's healthy again um and just being so much better defensively keeps them in games and allows guys like Ferreira to to bust open like he did two weeks ago um with two real class goals so yeah I like Dallas I like I like what I've seen from them um much better Matt you want to touch on Houston or uh, I guess if you don't want to, you can touch on any of the other teams. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on something that like is kind of unique, and Houston is included in that. We're seeing, out of the, the top three teams, three new coaches. And we're seeing you know several teams that have very obviously invested or reinvested, in Dallas's case, into their team. These are very, very well-run teams so far. They're very, very well-coached teams so far. Um, seeing what... Paolo Negramora has done in Houston. It, it makes my Sporting Kansas City heart very, very happy because nothing else does at the moment. So, like, really, really good job to make that work. Uh, they're taking advantage of other teams underperforming, be it for 
you know, CCL, be it for just playing like trash. You have to take advantage of those opportunities when you have them. Those five teams are doing it right now. Good on them. Yeah, just, and you mentioned about the coaches. Um, just looking at the uh, the top seven right now um, in all of MLS. Uh, we're, and if you just look at the top five of the West, uh, LAFC, top the league, new coach. Um, uh, Dallas, uh, kind of flip-flopping between um, Estevez and Luchi Gonzalez uh, from the U.S. men's national team. So there may be some connection there. But, you know, nevertheless, it's definitely a new coach uh, coming in there. Um, and Houston uh, with Paul Nagamura, new coach. So we're talking about real change um, in the uh, coaching ranks of now some of the upper echelon, at least as at the moment in MLS. Uh, and I think that's a great point that you brought up. Uh, John, you want to hit on that? Yeah, I think I, I wasn't actually going to talk about coaches, but I was going to say, I mean, look at Dallas going out and getting Paul Areola, right? Which yeah, I love that this- signing. So I mean, at the beginning of the season, there were a lot of people that were asking if they, he was he was really worth what they paid for him, right? And um, I think that at this point, right, the, the proof is in the pudding, right? They, they have had some success, um, and it's hard to argue with success, right? I mean, at the beginning of the season, they were really saying, wow, are you, are you really going out and paying that much for, for that veteran of a guy that, that doesn't maybe have that many years left on him? Um, and I know a lot of USMNT um, individuals were maybe not super pumped, but man, they, they, they sure are laughing at the top of the table. Yeah. Um, at least where they're at, they, they compared to last year, right. They, they just, they have really put together something, um, uh, something that, that works, which is again, a change from past years. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, it's a great, uh, point you know branching out from austin to the uh top of the west table and now um i am going to start to hit on the sunday games because those are some interesting games uh as well the uh with nycfc absolutely stomping um we also like six nil and lafc uh winning three one at home over uh sporting kansas city to take that uh top of the league uh title uh, for the moment at least um back from the Union after the Union uh, lost to Toronto this weekend. I, I'm i going to do something here. I'm going to read out the bottom six in the East and the bottom, uh, I, I'm just all the non-playoff teams in the West. Tell me which teams don't sound like the rest. Uh, the non-playoff teams in the East. Charlotte, Columbus, NYCFC, New England, SC Cincinnati, Inner Miami and DC United. I'd say three of those teams don't sound like the others. And in the West, uh, Nashville, Portland, Colorado, Seattle, Sporting Kansas City, Vancouver Whitecaps, and the San Jose Earthquakes. I'd say five of those teams, part- particularly, uh, maybe even six, don't sound like the others. So we're talking about real, real change. Change that sees NYCFC and New England, the Supporter Shield winner and the MLS Cup champions, and Columbus, also a good team, find their way out of the playoff spots, and NYCFC and New England doing so in a surprising, certainly, fashion. In the West, it's all havoc. What's going on there? Um, Honestly, Matt, you talked about your sporting 
KC uh, fandom uh, not being in the best position right now as their 12th. But we're talking about Colorado, the one seed last year. Portland, MLS Cup finalist. Seattle, the two seed last year. Sporting KC, the three seed. Nashville, the two seed in the east, switching to the west. All those teams not in playoff positions. And I think that leads into our conversation about NYCFC. The first real statement win they've had this year. Why now and where did this come from? Because if you're looking at how they've played so far this season, it's not been as necessarily as bad as, you know, the at one point, I think the 12th spot, uh, now the 10th spot. But it's not been good. And I guess, you know, we can hit that game first and then branching into the SKC game. Why have SKC looked far, far from it this year? Uh, Matt, you, we can start with you. Can I hit on the NYCFC side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't have to talk about the SKC yeah, side. Yeah, we can tell on that. The <laughs> NYCFC has a pretty easy out in that they were stretched with CCL. I think that looking at the team that they have set up, looking at the fact that they are obviously now out of that competition, they're going to be fine. They are too talented of a team unless yeah. they sell like four out of 11 starters, they're going to be fine. Uh, when we look at some of the other teams that we're, we're seeing outside of the playoffs, um, New England, you've got work to do. Like there, there needs to be an understanding of why are you shipping so many goals uh, and how do you truly replace Matt Turner? Because it seems like that's where really a lot of their difficulties have come from. Um, but I think that they can fight their way back up. There's a couple of teams that I'm a little bit more concerned about in the East. Um, but both those teams, I think you're going to be fine. If you need to get into the SKC stuff, you got a whole lot of soul searching to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Peter Vermese. Like, let me start here. Sporting fans who are calling for Vermese to lose his job right now, grow up. Like, you are in this position because Peter Vermese has taken this team and put in, put it on the level that it's at. There needs to be a little bit more understanding of that. Now, do I think that there needs to be a little bit more internal organization, organizational structuring that is not around one person? Sure. But from the outside, you can absolutely be upset with what feels like very, very poor efforts and or poor effort and low or uh, poor results, you know, demand more and you'll hopefully get more. That's, that's the, that's the way this has to work. But calling for Vermees's job is silly at this point. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, I guess Andres, we can kind of hit specifically now. I just kind of wanted to hit on those, like the top teams and, you know, you're welcome to touch on any of you guys to touch on the, um, why these top teams have fallen uh, from grace. I think there's definitely not one underlying theme in all of them. It's a lot of different things uh, for, for each different team. But I guess, Andres, we can touch on specifically the NYCFC game. What did you see uh, in this one that made them look just so utterly dominant, really, from the first minute um, as they destroy RSL, Tati Castellanos, uh, 
our our golden boot winner from last year uh getting four on the day yeah so i'm i'm with with matt on the nycfc gonna be okay uh train they're gonna be just fine they've been super stretched like like matt said they had to travel they had to they had to travel to central america a few times they had to play a home game in la to start the season um they're now out of that competition they're going to be fully focused on mls competition again and i think they're they're absolutely stacked on talent and you saw that today or excuse me on sunday they were able to turn rsl over in dangerous spots and then guys like talis magno or tiago andrade they were just putting absolute dimes on a very proven goal scorer with tati castellanos um they're and they're doing it without maxi and in the past that's been a problem for them santi rodriguez seems to play the part um they've got a great scouting network it's shown with the guys that they've brought in and i'm Super bullish on NYCFC going forward, and I don't, I don't see them in the in the bottom half of the standings for long. And, and just to touch on Seattle, I feel the same exact way about they they lost again this weekend uh, with a super heavily rotated squad. But that's you know they they're coming off a super emotional midweek game against NYCFC. They didn't play with either of the Roldans, Rui Diaz, Lodero came off the bench, Stefan Fry got the night off. They're going to be fine once they get through this batch of CCL finals coming up next next week and the week after that. I think they're going to shoot straight to the top of the of the West um, probably by, you know, August or September, which is when they really turn it on. Um, so I've got no concerns about them either. Uh, is there anybody else we, we needed to touch on? That I should be touching on. Down no, there? I, I think you're good. Like touching on like specifically why NYCFC. That was kind of the main thing. Like hitting on that game um, before we transition to the next one is like I will. I will yeah, add. I mean, I'm a Seattle fan, so I'm not really worried about Seattle. <laughs> I agree with Anders. I think the one thing I would say is the team that I maybe am a little concerned about is um, uh, New England, the Revs. Um, I watched their win against Charlotte this weekend and. Certainly, um, for them, that was an emotional uptick because they had just really, really struggled. But I'll be honest, even in the midst of that win, they did not look dominant. They definitely still struggled at times. And even though I don't think that Charlotte really, really um, troubled them too much, I wouldn't say that they were in firm control of that game. And um, I think that when you look at their season as a whole, I think CCL as an excuse feels pretty thin, especially considering they exited it early and considering they totally passed on that first round, right? Um, they didn't even play in the first round of CCL. So they really only had, um, you know, a couple games. And, and so I, I'm concerned about New England. Um, they, they have, um, you know, some, some key injuries, but they have so many of Bruce Arena's guys on that team that you would expect them to overcome those injuries. And so I, I don't think that they're going to be at the bottom of the table or anything like that, but I certainly am concerned about um, just how many goals they're leaking, and I'm concerned about their overall mentality moving forward. Do I think Bruce Arena will right the ship? Absolutely, I do. Um, I think it would be foolish to, to bet against Bruce Arena, but for the time being, I, I am concerned uh, for the Revs and what they got going on up in New England. I think the the one thing with the Reds that might make it 
particularly difficult for them to get to the same level is the massive difference that Matt Turner made. Um, truly, like, I, he was, what, the highest number of expected goals added type of player in 2021 through American Soccer Analysis uh, analysis. That's a weird way to put that. Uh, figuring out how to get them on the right level, I think is going to take a lot more than just having a very good goalkeeper come in. I think that uh, they're going to have to find ways to expand those expected goals added uh, in throughout their field players too now. Uh, and that's going to be a difficult task. But don't discount I think they can the, do it. The, the impact that Tejon had as well. And they yeah, offer super direct. It could really stretch the field. And they don't really have anybody that's really stretching the field for them right now. So that doesn't give Carlos Hill the same amount of space to operate. Um, so there's there's some there's some work to be done. I'm with you guys. I don't think they're gonna be bottom of the table. Uh, Bruce is obviously the winningest coach, the most proven coach in MLS history, but this isn't the same juggernaut that you had last year. And even last year, you could argue that maybe that points total was a little bit inflated with how many 1-0 type wins they had. Um, so maybe they were already due for a little bit of regression to the mean. Uh, it, it might be a little bit of a struggle to kind of figure out what's what's next for the revs because it's a, it's a different animal this year. Yeah, I, I think that would be the team I'm most concerned about in the East is the revs just because last year wasn't, breaking the points record convincing and this year has been uh anything but um i john do you want to touch on that or do you want to like you can touch on like rsl as well and like the beginning of the season has been good but they completely fell flat in this game yeah i i think they they um you know i i think new york had something to prove you know and i i, I do i think that maybe rsl was a little overhyped at the beginning of the season I could I could get on board with that. I could see that. Um, but I think more than anything, I think New York is just a juggernaut of a team. And I think that they sort of had their attention split. And I think now that their attention is focused on the regular season um, here, I, I just think there's little that can stop them. I think the only thing that maybe could really stop them over the summer is if they sell Castellanos. So, um, you know, any team's going to struggle if, if the uh, Golden Boot winner is sold from your team, right? So, um yeah, I, I think if you're RSL, you chalk this up to, to playing essentially what was the best team in the league la- last year, right? Especially if you're saying MLS Cup is, is the standard bearer for that, which I understand is debatable. But um, yeah, I think New York is a good team, and RSL played a good team, and they absolutely got smashed. Um, I, I think moving forward, really, as they continue to play out the rest of their schedule, we'll kind of see what they're made of and whether the beginning of the season was a fluke or not. But um, you know, I, I think you, you can't take much out of this game. You kind of just have to shrug it off and move on. Um, this is just New York being New York. And I want to point out that last year, late September, RSL lost to Portland 6-1. to one. Um, Yeah, that was crazy. And then came back four days later and beat the Galaxy, had laid an egg at home, to, or excuse me, on the road to Austin. Looked like they were going to miss the playoffs. And then they basically beat Colorado, beat Dallas, um, and kind of snuck in right at the end. Um, so 
you've seen this before from RSL. They they can lay an egg and then come right back a couple of days later and be super solid again. So if you're RSL, I think no panic. Uh, like like John said, NYCFC on many metrics has been the best team in the league for four or five years now. Um, they got them at home. They turned them over early. They got a couple goals down. You shrug it off. You move on, and and I think you you get back to what you were doing before. And I, I, it wouldn't be a huge cause for concern for me either. And I I with you guys that New York is the team out of those bottom teams that I would most assume would come back uh, and and start to prove who they really are again. Just because like like we the talent that they have up top is young. It's developed in academies and you know places in the world that are proven in the past to produce uh, great soccer players i think of tyus magno a touted 19 year old uh coming from literally from brazil and then showing it kind of against my union i was there uh, for that eastern conference final where he scored that goal um but really he just looks such a bright player um so does santi uh you just look up and down the field uh tiago andrade looks a really, really, really solid guy. Um, obviously, Tati Castellanos. Uh, not enough has been said about him uh, over the last year, two years, three years. Um, and so you you really get him and those guys rolling again, which you would assume that they would after CCL. And I, I made this point, I think, on past pods and in my notes uh, from games, uh, even at the beginning of the season when they weren't getting results, is like the team, it just looks like they have so much talent on the field so much technical ability in a way that none of their opponents did and they were often unlucky in many games you know dominating uh you know on the road at vancouver i think that comes to mind and not getting uh three points i don't believe from that one maybe maybe that was their lone win on the road i forget but just like they they have so much talent and um when that starts to get realized uh as it has been um uh, since last year and in this game, they look like an absolute juggernaut. And uh, I don't think anybody is going to stop them from climbing back uh, to the top of the East uh, in relatively short order. And I guess we'll transition to that other Sunday game now, uh, featuring Matt Sporting KC, as LAFC uh, do manage to come back uh, after one of the crazier own goals um, you'll see in a while. Uh, just a super unlucky one, uh, at the very least. Um, to give uh, Sporting KC the opener, LAFC uh, jump back, uh, grab three, um, and uh, including an Ismael Tajori Shradi banger, and uh, finish it as once again top of MLS. Uh, Matt, you you kind of t- touched on the um, your team and kind of the uh, downfalls that they've been experiencing so far this season do you want to touch at least on the uh good that we saw from lafc once again just uh, asserting their dominance at home yeah there's there's from an lafc perspective a lot to like um the the sporting kansas city goal was a little bit fluky i wouldn't quite put it to the to the same degree um we're seeing one of those really really like patented johnny no, Russell it, was, it wasn't from like, the right uh, it, it wasn't like matt polster like Ends up hitting no, the ball in his own net in the 90th minute. Crazy. But, but Russell like, Russell turned around Palacios pretty soon. Yeah, that was a heck yeah. of a dribble. That was he, a dribble. He got in a really dangerous spot. I, I wouldn't say it's that fluky of a goal. 
Yeah, uh, I, I and I'd like them. I'd like Sporting to put that that goal away most times out of you know what or however many opportunities they get uh, into that position. So the good start to the game from a Sporting perspective. Um, LAFC takes care of business on. Uh, I think the first goal was the set piece that kind of devolved, and then uh, they ended up scoring. Uh, yeah, which happened twice. Mamadou Fall, who puts it back across goal to uh, Christian. Yeah, Ronaldo. really. Uh, again, Mamadou Fall, oh, beautiful, player, beautiful decision. Absolutely brilliant. Go ahead and put that back across. Not just try to take that a goal. Very, very smart. Really, really well done. Um, and kind of a backbreaking goal at that point. Uh, right at the end of the half, uh, we're we're just chasing the ball. We're chasing the ball. Chasing the ball. And then Tajiri Shradi puts in that goal. And yeah, I, it, it, that's tough to come back from. I get that. I'm still kind of disgusted by the fact that LAFC was able to just run straight through our midfield. Like that, that back seven being the midfield in the defensive line, like, you you can't look at that the the final goal that they gave up and be okay with it. They have got to be more structured in the way that they set that up. I think at that point Cam Duke was in, um, so we were probably seeing more of a transition back to the the classic sport of Kansas City four three three as opposed to having two um, uh, almost like a double pivot, uh, but to to get the run through the midfield like that is. Just it's just not okay. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, I, I'm not. A, go ahead, Joey. Go ahead. No, no. I was just saying, like, I was just a jumping off point. But yeah, you can completely. I was just say, uh, Tajiri Shradi has shown he's an absolute baller, even when he's coming off the bench. Such a good pickup for them from from Charlotte. Like to get that trade through. Good yeah. job. Yeah, NY via Charlotte via NYCFC. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Andres, what were you gonna say? Yeah, so I'm I'm not a sporting fan, so I think I'll probably be less harsh on them than than Matt was. I actually thought they were pretty good for about seventy minutes, and uh, they even after the Orango goal, they came out. I thought the f- first half of the second half, so let's say the third quarter of the game, was about even until that Tajiri Shradi, you know, banger volley, left footed, just absolutely tore them. You know, kind of breaks your heart, and then you're on the road. I think you're at a talent deficit, anyways. Um, and LAFC just keeps bringing on talented guys off the bench. Yeah. You know, Sifuentes comes in late for fresh legs. I, I guess he was kind of hurt, but you know, that's a talented player. You're bringing off Janela, or you're bringing on Janela in the 85th minute. Um, and Sporting just doesn't have that same sort of depth especially on the road, especially after giving up a, a banger of a goal like that. So I kind of understand why they, why they fold a little bit. Um, it's, it's not an excuse, let's say, but, but it's, it's more understandable, I'd say. I think the, the trouble with sporting is, or in general, is that defensively it's been, it's been a rough ride for about three or four years, even when they were good. Um, you always kind of wondered how solid they'd be at the back. Um, Scoring goals, you know, you were hoping for Alan Polito. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year, and I don't think you can count on Shallowy and Russell to 
be MVP caliber players all the time and give you, what was it, like 32 or 31 goals that they had last year between them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's tough. That's a tough ask. So if you're already sort of suspect at center back, um, getting older at right back and at defensive midfielder, and you don't have a proven goal scorer, you're relying on two wingers, yeah, I can see there's some concern there. Um, and I, I'm totally with you. If, you. if you're calling for Peter Vermees to go at this point, you haven't been paying attention for the last 10 years because the whole reason they're good or they have been good is because is of his leadership. But there's, there's a lot to, to look at and work on and, and think about how to, how to propel this club going forward. And I'm not sure it's, it's a quick turnaround right now. Yeah. Um... The aging aspects are the ones that could, like concern me. It's not like this team is uh, full of super young, super like high potential yet undeveloped kind of players. Like, ah, uh, this this is a team that has experience, and Zusi is still performing. Like Roger is filling what he needs to do, especially with Kinda out right now. Um, and obviously, uh, the departure of Elias Sanchez to uh, having to be LAFC um in the winter. Those two losses are massive, and obviously uh, none bigger than Alan Polito up top, uh, who, if he was in, I think that uh, they were saying on the broadcast, I don't think it can be overstated, that changes quite a lot of things. Uh, if a proven goal scorer at you know top levels like he is uh, can get back, I know he was, uh, I heard a rumor that he was looking for a second opinion on that injury to his knee, I believe. Um, we'll see uh, if that goes through, but as of now, you know, he'll, he'll be out for the rest of the season. Um, and that's just another uh, backbreaker for them, uh, losing him last year. And again, this year, I don't think uh, sporting KC fans or any MLS fans need uh, much catching up on that. But I think it is worth just pointing out how big of a loss that is whenever we talk about um, the potential uh, downfall of sporting Kansas City um, is Alan Polito um, and that injury is just so unfortunate. So I think that kind of hits what I want to uh, touch on in the Sunday game. Maybe touch on one more game and we can uh, kind of close up shop with a few uh, little things um, around the soccer and USMNT world this week. Uh, I do want to touch on uh, Minnesota's 3-1 win over the Colorado Rapids. Minnesota continues to prove that they are quite a solid team and that front four continues to get the job done. I don't know if anybody wants to touch on it. Um, they are only seventh in the West, but they are 11 points through seven games and have played some rather good teams in the process, um, not least of which Nashville, which they drew at home, uh, the Union, which they also drew, um, losing to Seattle so far this season, and being a good Colorado team and a good New York Red Bulls team. So... Anybody kind of want to hit on uh, Minnesota and how they've looked so far this season? I mean, this is this is what Reynoso is here for. Like, this is a very, very good team. He elevates them to a really, really good degree. I think that um, with Debasi and Boxall, you have a really, really solid base. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to like in Minnesota. Like, there's there's some really, really good stuff. If they can find a consistent goal scorer. They're in a really good spot. Uh, Robert Lode having a great season so far. Um, deserves a shout out too. So, uh, and you're right, beating some very very good teams when they when they need to. So, good job. I think Minnesota goes with Renoso. I think 
you know, if Reynoso's having a good day, then Minnesota is a team to be feared. I think if Reynoso's having a bad day and is really struggling to impact a game, really struggling to get involved and get in his touches, I think Minnesota really struggles. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think they live and die by Reynoso. And um, I, I think that, you know, uh, when it's either feast or famine with him. So um, I, I, I'd love for them to add maybe another key piece uh, just to sort of maybe alleviate pressure from him. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's undeniable that they've gotten some, some pretty key results in this early part of the season. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the season shapes up for them and, and whether uh, they're able to keep this up and uh, whether they're able to add anybody on the, in the summer window. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement. Reynoso, as Reynoso goes, so goes Minnesota. And he was awesome this week. Uh, all three goals um, came from came from run of play where he was involved. Uh, one was a direct assist. The other two, he he makes runs. On the third goal, he makes a he makes a really clever run outside um, to get the play started. On the other, on the second goal, I believe it was, he attracts defenders in, opens up space out wide. Um, when he's on, they they're just as about as good as anybody else. And I want to give a real quick shout to Dane Sinclair. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. He really solid keeper. He basically um, kept them uh, from from losing to Red Bulls a couple weeks ago, and uh, Minnesota goes up one zero early in the game, relatively early in the game, and then Colorado has the better of the game for about twenty minutes, and St. Clair just kind of stood on his head. Um, they keep them. They keep them out of the back of the net, and then Reynoso takes over again, and, and they get a pretty comfortable win in the end. So it's good for Canada, good for Minnesota that St. Clair's kind of found form again. And yeah, Babello was was lights out. And if he if he's playing this way, then the sky's the limit for Minnesota. I think I yeah. saw a stat that said that St. Clair is the statistically the best um, goalkeeper in the MLS through these first slew of games um you know just his uh you know when you look at the stats the key saves he's made um you know against expected goals his differential between expected goals and actual goals is just higher than any other sort of goalkeeper in the league i think i saw a stat somewhere i, I wish i could yeah. quote the moment but I, I, also, I, also heard that. I think you're right and I, uh, I have a table up right now from mls that is uh a over or over performing expected goals is actually Gaga Slanina. So love that from the U.S. perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think just on the broader point, Canada has so many options between Borean, between uh, our own Maxime Crapeau, uh, and obviously Dane Sinclair. They're stacked goalkeeper. And I think that's a great transition into a country in the U.S. that is unfortunately far from it. Um, with Zach Steffen, unfortunately, 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 um, I love Zach. He seems like a super nice guy, and everybody seems to love him. But he makes that mistake, crucial mistake at the weekend, um, as Manchester City fall to Liverpool. A little non-analyst talk uh, here at the end of the pod. But uh, you guys brought it up, and you guys wanted to talk about it. I guess I'll open the floor to you guys. How do you guys kind of see um, Zach Steffen, and it, I guess in light of that mistake that he made, which was just, I mean, it's unfortunate. He gets the ball at his feet. I think not a great first touch. Gets stuck under, and Sadio Mane slides in um, to get the goal. It's, it's just, 
it's unfortunate. And Super great. Yeah, it's it's the the more unfortunate thing I'll throw it to you, Andres, is that he doesn't get that much time. So these result these bad moments are unfortunately they can't be counterbalanced with too many good moments because he just doesn't get on the field enough. Yeah, and he, and anybody that's been watching the the U.S. men's national team was maybe um, not super surprised at the form that Stefan uh, showed in that in that FA Cup semifinal. I thought he was. Um, not super uh, solid, uh, a little bit jittery in, in this last in this last window, um, and you know, in theory, what he adds is is his play with his feet compared to the shot stopping, um, and even even outside of the mistake, you know, against with Mare, his distribution in general in that semifinal. After that, uh, you could see that the confidence just kind of isn't there right now. Um, his distribution wasn't great, and then he gets beat at the at the near post for the for the last goal. Um, I'm really hoping that he finds a good loan spot for the next eight months before or seven months before um, the, the World Cup, because I don't know. I'm not in Berhalter's head, obviously, but it seems like he still favors him uh, as a top keeper, and we have no guarantee that Turner is going to be playing. Um, in the fall, at our at Arsenal or somewhere else, um, Horvath isn't playing right now, um, so it's it's not a great uh, situation with six months to go, and and I really hope that they can they can find some spot for him because the form is is not good right now. Yeah, I think that's the unfortunate part is the form argument. Um, you know, what kind of form will they be in when they uh, inevitably come back to the national team? Uh, in a couple months' time, I I don't think it's worth harping on the mistake like in a that that mistake particularly in a vacuum that much because like it happens like it's a bad touch. But I think when you you know put that in context with the playing time that he doesn't have and the reps that he isn't getting, that's when you start to have those concerns. Anybody want to touch on that? And I'll hit on uh, Open Cup real quick, and then we can get out of here. Well, I'm actually with Anders. I I think that like sure that the touch is troubling but i think what's also troubling is that he just had a bad game i mean like he said that third goal is also his fault where he gets beat near post and um i i I agree with you i think when a goalkeeper isn't in form that's a problem and he's not really getting enough touches enough playing time to to get into form um and uh you know as a u.s fan you're in a troubling spot because like you said, Horvath is not playing. Um, are we going to have Turner? Are we not going to have Turner? Should we play Turner if he comes back in time? Because that's awfully soon. I, I think, you know, the goalkeeper situation, there's just a lot of question marks. I think if I was a betting man, I think Burhalter sort of sticks it out with Zach Steffen because he just, you know, he's a known quantity and going elsewhere just would be a pretty controversial decision. But, man, as a U.S. fan, you got to be nervous. And I guess we're leaning really, really hard on on the potential of Zach Steffen and his athleticism rather than uh, what he's shown recently, which, again, as a U.S. fan, um, is a little scary at times. And he showed his quality when he was in MLS, too. Like, there's a reason why he made that move to Man City, because they saw something in him. They saw a really, really, really good young keeper. And he's shown moments of that still. His one-on-one skills are pretty good, like, even at the top levels. He just has enough of these moments where... It's clearly lack of playing time, 
but that in and of itself is a problem, right? Like, you know, if you're not playing, you can't continue to nurture and grow those good skills. Uh, they go to, they go by the wayside. Matt, do you want to touch on that, and we can um, close up shop in the Stefan discussion? Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking of. Um, I think it was Paul Carr who put out some information on yeah. Uh, yeah. the differential between I, a, a goalkeeper who's good at playing out of the back adds like 0.03 at the absolute maximum expected goals generally versus uh, or expected goal differential that is um, versus having a good goalkeeper who's a like specializes in shot stopping and it's significantly more impactful. So uh, if we're talking about somebody who is mediocre at playing out of the back and very, very, very good at shot stopping versus somebody who is okay at shot stopping and pretty decent at playing out of the back. I think that we know where we need to put our investment in. And I think that right now shot stopping is the biggest thing. Rely on your field players to play the ball. Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a great point. And you know, Zach has shown at times that he has that st- shot stopping. I think we just need to see that more consistently. And for Turner, we see it every time, or a lot of times, he comes out on the pitch. You know, the main reason why I think main reason is fair. Why NYC or, or NYCC? Why the Reds were able to stay um, in a lot of those one nil games, like we talked about, is because Turner shot stopping last year. Between him and Blake, you know, I feel like that could have gone either way. Um, Blake had better underlying numbers. The day we're talking about a keeper who was the large, a large part, if not the largest part of a team that broke the points record last year. That and most of that due to a shot stopping and him literally preventing multiple goals um, that would have been scored against them and would have potentially. Show, showed up in the standings in real quantifiable ways. So that's unfortunate um, that the Revs don't have him, and it's unfortunate that Turner has gotten injured. It's also unfortunate for Stefan that, you know, we're talking about a keeper of, a, you know, real, real quality that has not gotten to show it over the last um, uh, couple years and has been more maligned than he has been complimented just due to the fact that he's not playing enough. That's super unfortunate. Um. Really one more thing, quick thing, and we can get out of here, guys. Thank you so much um, for this first pod. We're, we can uh, continue to grow and develop as a uh, partner, as partners, I guess, uh, and as a pairing. But I think it really, um, I, I really like talking with you guys. And I think, uh, you know, moving forward, it's only going to get better. And it, this makes my day a lot more enjoyable, too. Um, but I think we can uh, touch on Open Cup. Uh, as we've already got some games going on, uh, we're recording this Tuesday night, and uh, more to come tomorrow. Any matchups that you guys are looking at with interest as MLS teams have started to enter the competition? Uh, this is now round three of the competition. Andres, are there any of the games that you were interested in? I know you've got to jump sooner. Yeah, so just as a formal, former Greenville, South Carolina resident, I think it's very cool to see Charlotte FC in their first season coming That's to- right. Coming to Legacy Early College in downtown Greenville. Um, yeah. I think it would have been super cool had I still lived there to be at that match. Um, yeah, just think it's it's cool. Greenville didn't, didn't even have a team three or four years ago. Charlotte's brand new. Um, just shows the growth of the game in the in the general region. And uh, I'll be looking out for that one. And to be the anti-Greenville guy. Uh, 
<laughs> you, you know, Omaha, a team that uh, two years ago uh, was not able to travel to Greenville for their uh, USL League One championship. And so uh, Greenville won that year. The last year's uh, League One champions, getting them to go up against their first MLS opponent um, as a Nebraskan, that's awesome. Uh, there's some local kids on that team. There's a lot to be really excited about in Union Omaha. They're doing it right. Uh, we'll see what they can do against Chicago Fire. Um, I'm excited. I'm just. I'm so happy to have the U.S. Open Cup back. It's, yeah, it's so, so much fun. fun. It's the best. And it's just crazy. In an, in, in an already crazy league to have yeah. this competition that is just nuts. Awesome to have it back. It's just. It's like the FA Cup, and it has real history in. American soccer, when there aren't too many things that have real history, this certainly does. Um, I don't want to seem like, you know, taking the easy answer, but I think seeing um, Landon Donovan and his uh, San Diego Loyal um, take the field uh, at Dignity Hill Sports Park uh, in his long-awaited return in some capacity uh, to the Galaxy is going to be rather interesting um, to see just kind of how that all shapes up, because, you know, it's possible that the Galaxy don't feel a top lineup, and they could lose. But and the Loyal are, you know, always one of the top teams in USL. Uh, they're second right now. Uh, so seeing what they can do, um, you know, under the really really bright lights, uh, is going to be something really interesting to see. And I can't wait for that. Um, John, do you have anything? And yeah, kind of yeah. I mean, obviously, Anders um, taking. Uh, you know, the, the game that excites me, the Greenville triumph against Charlotte. But, I mean, also, too, I'm with you, man. I mean, how epic would it be to see Landon Donovan win as a coach against his former club? Like, that would just be so exciting to watch, right? Like, man, talk about Cinderella story. Talk about narrative, going back, sticking it to your old team, doing it with a USL, you know, a lower division team. man. I think that this is what makes, you know, the Open Cup exciting because these narratives come in, right? It, lower teams can beat bigger teams, especially earlier on, right? And, man, it, it's just exciting to, to sort of have it back again and sort of, you know, everyone wants a Cinderella story, right? And so, um, yeah, so, so excited, so, so pumped. Uh, and, um, man, I, I'm going to be it's, – it's a late game tonight as someone who's on the East Coast that, uh, you know – galaxy versus loyal game but i might stay up to watch it just because i'm so pumped for it yeah i i just love you're saying um man i just love uh open cup so much it's just like you get to see not just the real rich clubs the you know you know big money investor clubs i guess of the world you get to see the smaller clubs too the more locally run clubs clubs that might be based from even a youth team um and get find a way to get into this competition. There's amateur teams that always get entry into the competition. I mean, it's just so much fun, um, and it, it lends itself to teams that could potentially make a run. And I, I, this is really the time now where you start to play the MLS teams, and we start to see if any of these teams really have what it takes to knock off one of the big boys. Um, it'll be super interesting to see. And uh, the love for Open Cup certainly uh, extends to the MLS Bench podcast. So that's kind of what I wanted to touch on today, guys. Thanks so much. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday, hopefully, with another episode, maybe dropping next Tuesday or next Wednesday uh, to recap uh, another weekend of MLS action that's coming up. Uh, should be a lot of fun with 
some more big games, uh, nationally televised games on the schedule. But for now, um, yeah, thanks again to Andres, to John, to Matt uh, for our first episode together. And here's to many, many, many more uh, episodes together talking about the lead that we all love. So uh, until next Tuesday or next Wednesday, uh, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and I'll see all you guys then. Thank you guys so much for listening.